You're listening to Addiction Medicine Beyond the Abstract, the official podcast of the Journal of Addiction Medicine. If this is your first time listening, thanks for coming. Addiction Medicine Beyond the Abstract is produced for your enjoyment and is focused on the latest journal-published research and science in the field of addiction medicine. Remember to add us to your favorites in iTunes. You can also follow us on Twitter at ASAMorg and Facebook. Now, let's go beyond the abstract. Hello, welcome to Addiction Medicine Beyond the Abstract. I'm your host, Dr. Sean McNeil. Today we're joined by Dr. Anora Englander. She's an Associate Professor of Medicine at Oregon Health and Science University and Director and Principal Investigator of the Improving Addiction Care Team, also known as IMPACT. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. Englander. I want to take a minute just to, to get to know you a little bit and to hear about your background in treating addiction and researching substance use disorders. Great. Thanks so much. It's really an honor to be here. Um, my background is that I uh, started my, my clinical practice as a hospitalist, and I was leading a hospital-to-home transitional care intervention for socioeconomically vulnerable adults, uh, which was a, a project that I started with with a number of colleagues um, here at OHSU in 2008, 2009, um, and that was that was a work that was really trying to address system level gaps for people who were admitted to the hospital um, and were very vulnerable around that hospital to home transition. And um, the program was called T-Train or the Care Transitions Innovation. And over the years that I was leading and developing that work. Um, one of the things that became really abundantly clear as we were doing our ongoing quality improvement was that there was a systemic blind spot to meeting people's substance use needs um, and and that that was driving our, my perception and, and others was that that was driving um, poor outcomes for patients, including hospital readmissions. Um, but then also what I could tell working as a hospitalist and, and also working in the ambulatory setting was that it wasn't, there were certainly significant financial costs to the way that we were delivering care, but there was also just tremendous human costs and, and patients were suffering um, and providers were suffering. We've done some qualitative work around provider experience caring for people with substance use disorder and uh, the idea of really widespread moral distress. Um, kind of came came up thematically there. So um, as I was kind of immersed in this transitions work and, and also clinically immersed in care across hospital and ambulatory settings, just was so clear that we needed to do something differently for people with substance use disorders. And, you know, I, I saw this kind of across the population, and then there were a handful of patients who just made such uh, sort of a searing impression on me, and one was a young woman who had been hospitalized uh, in 2012 with, um, she was admitted with endocarditis and subsequently underwent uh, cardiac valve replacement. And she'd had a series of, of hospitalizations. I met her, I believe it was her third hospitalization that I met her. And she had been readmitted with chest wall pain and she was really sort of suffering emotionally and physically. And her endocarditis was as a result of injection drug use. She had a, an opioid addiction. And, you know, I worked with her and I worked with others at our hospital to try to engage her and help her connect to treatment. But what was so clear was really that we just 
were not well positioned to do so. Um, you know, I didn't have the resources or skills to initiate her on medication for her opioid use disorder. And more than anything, I just felt a sense of helplessness that I think she also was feeling. Um, and I learned several months later that she actually was readmitted and died um, in our intensive care unit after suffering a PEA arrest. And um, it was just a very tragic death. She was a young woman with with really sort of so much grace and who was struggling so deeply. Uh, and so, so it was her story and those of many, many others, and then also the effect that it had on the system that we weren't addressing people's addiction in the hospital that really sort of was a big spark for me to kind of move forward and try to do things differently. Okay. Now, and it sounds like this impact team developed out of a passion that you had for treating this population. It it did, absolutely. Um, and, you know, what, what happened after sort of the, the background that I described, which is really around kind of recognizing unmet need, was that I then advocated with, with hospital leadership. Uh, I had developed relationships with some of our key senior leaders through some of the earlier work that I had done. Uh, so I sort of subsequently a- advocated that we, we needed to at least consider doing something differently and that um, that the, the, the current standard of care, which really was not to address people's use disorders and instead to, to treat the endocarditis or treat the osteomyelitis or treat the alcohol withdrawal, but not address the root cause. Again, really trying to highlight these gaps. And so I then subsequently advocated with leadership and, and moved forward to do a needs assessment, um, both to understand what were the needs from a wide array of stakeholders, including hospital providers, including patients, including community substance use providers and others um, to kind of get a sense of what what were the needs, but then also using that needs assessment really as a way to engage folks and get buy-in for a process that I anticipated would be would be a heavy lift. Okay. And and for, for those that aren't familiar, could you describe the composition of this impact team and explain how the different team members each contribute to the care of these patients? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, as I mentioned, we did a needs assessment uh, in 2014, and and we subsequently mapped needs to components of the intervention. And so um, so our, our composition of impact is really sort of a direct result of, of those findings and, and that work. Um, and because we lacked the expertise that was necessary to treat addiction in the hospital, um, and really because patients told us that engagement and trust was, or excuse me, that trust was such an issue, um, and that, that they felt that there was a potential for traumatization in the hospital, and um, again, that they were really mistrusting of hospital care, we, we created an, an interprofessional team that initially included a physician, Melissa Weimer was our initial uh, physician. She's now, she's now at Yale. Um, we had a social worker and then we had a peer with lived experience. Um, and, um, and so we, we had an interprofessional team. We've since expanded. We now have a nurse practitioner and PA as part of our team. We now actually have three peers instead of one, and we have two social workers. So it's exciting that we've grown as much as we have, and we have multiple positions. Um, but we're an interprofessional hospital team. And then the other really key piece of our work is that we have we have rapid access pathways to treatment in the community. So another need that we identified through the needs assessment was that there was a gap time to treatment. 
uh, so that if we started a medication like methadone or buprenorphine in the hospital, it was we we understood and patients told us very clearly that you know a two week wait to get into care was was not possible, uh, and so or, or excuse me, it was just it wasn't going to work for people, and and that that gap was was so important that we overcome uh, with systems design. And so we created partnerships with with numerous community partners and really developed that. Um, and so that's also, and that's grown and evolved over the years, but that's a really key piece of, of our team. Great. Now, you mentioned in your paper that hospitalization is, as you uh, quoted it, a so-called reachable moment for these patients. And you have a unique opportunity to engage them, maybe a bit more than, than you would patients that are just in the community. So have you found that this makes the program, a program like yours, more successful than other programs that aren't hospital-based? Yeah, so um, you're absolutely right, this idea that hospitalization is a reachable moment. And in fact, early on in our planning, that was one of the key questions, because if you know we, we were seeing through just administrative data, and we know from national data that rates of hospitalization related to as related to complications of substance use disorder are skyrocketing, and hospitals really are hit hard. Um, but if it's not a reachable moment, we wouldn't have intervened. But really, what we found, um, again, both in our research and in our clinical experience, is that that hospitalization, for so many reasons, can be this golden moment, and partly it's because the fear of death is, is very terrifying often uh, and highly motivating for folks. Partly we've found that by being in the hospital, it sometimes can interrupt people's drug use. It sort of just breaks some of the patterns. Um, and then of course, having peers with lived experience and having a team that can initiate treatment in real time uh, in the setting of acute withdrawal sometimes, um, but, but having a, a treatment team at the ready is so important. Um, so, um, and, the, and the other thing that I'd highlight here is just that um, many, many people that we see in the hospital are not engaged in primary care. They're, they're not engaged in addictions treatment in the community, either because their lives have so much chaos that, that it's too challenging or because of the, the fears of stigmatization and discrimination that they may have around the treatment community. Um, so, so there's lots of reasons, but it's a, it's a really high risk and really vulnerable group of folks that we serve, um, both because of the severity of their use disorder and often because they're just not connected to, to care. Well, it sounds to me that you've come up with a really great team approach to tackling substance use disorders um, and in a setting that maybe others wouldn't immediately think about. And it seems like you've come up with a great team model that could be implemented in other hospitals and healthcare systems. So I want to thank you for coming on the podcast just to discuss this team and, and to discuss how this idea developed. It sounds like there's really a great future in implementing uh, care teams like this one. Thank you. Yeah, my hope is that um, that hospital-based addiction care is, is standard just the way if somebody has diabetes or if somebody has heart failure, they get admitted to the hospital. And even if they're there for an infection, we address their diabetes. We, uh, we address their heart failure. Um, I, I think the same needs to be true for addiction. Um, you know, the analogy that I have used many times when talking with, with leadership stakeholders in particular is that, you know, we would never admit somebody to the hospital 
who had a diabetic foot infection and amputate their foot, but not treat their hyperglycemia, not start them on insulin, not the, not connect them to care related to their diabetes. And and unfortunately, the practice of replacing heart valves or treating osteomyelitis without treating the underlying cause of substance use disorders is is analogous. Um, and we do have, I guess, the 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 bright spot or the the hopeful um, piece is that we really do have tools that we can can use. And I think hospitalists and, and hospital teams can play a really key role in addressing the epidemic. Thank you. Those those are really some great points. And I know it's given me a lot to think about. And, you know, hopefully the listeners can take a lot away from this discussion. Thank you. Yeah, it's it's been such an honor to do this work. And I've been supported by so many colleagues uh, across disciplines and um, and across, you know, across OHSU and our, our community. Um, and, you know, we, we published this description as well as a really detailed toolkit in part to help or because we wanted to help others uh, in their journey to, to implement similar work. So hopefully it can be of use. Well, thank you for being on. Thanks so much for having me. It's really a pleasure. This ends today's podcast. Thank you for listening to Addiction Medicine Beyond the Abstract. All of today's show links can be found in the show notes. Remember, you can preview additional abstracts at journalofaddictionmedicine.com. This program was produced by the American Society of Addiction Medicine.